and uh, get ready for, for God to, to do some awesome things tonight. What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down Any Johnny Cash fans here tonight? Yes, I am as well. Hey, welcome on a spring break. You are here, which means one of two things. You're leaving tomorrow, or you will be eating a lot of Fruity Pebbles at your house this week. Yes. How many of you guys are staying around for spring break, and you hate all those people at Panama City Beach right now? Be honest in church. It's okay. I do too. I do too. I do too. It's spring break, and we are here. We are here, and I am honored that you're with us. Tonight, we're starting a new series called Hurt, and my name's Josh, and we're going to dive right in. Um, before we do that, I want to just encourage you and kind of give you a little bit of a heads up on something awesome that happened last week. Um, there were 17 people baptized right here last Sunday night. Yeah. How awesome. And let me just tell you, in case you weren't here, in case you missed it, like one cool story from that night, because I thought it was just fantastic and awesome of what God did. We had some students who were getting baptized, and just kind of, if you don't know what that is, it's just kind of like getting dunked in a tub by a preacher. Um, <laughs> what am I getting myself into? Um, no, you're not at a cult. We like do it because it's in the Bible. But um, it's getting dunked in a tub by a preacher, and it symbolizes new life and like Jesus becoming everything to us. And so we had some students last week who wanted to go forward with their faith and take the next step of faith and get, getting baptized. And one of our girls, um, her name's Paige, and she goes to Mill Creek. Any Mill Creek students in the house? A couple of you. The rest of them are at the beach. Okay. Um, but last week she came, she goes to Mill Creek, and she got baptized. And we were talking after the, her baptism. I was talking to kind of some of the parents that were here. We had like nearly 80 adults that were in the building last week just celebrating with students and baptism. And I challenged the adults, I challenged the parents who were here about having a relationship with God. And um, that today was the day for them. Actually, not today, but like last Sunday was the day for them. And one of the coolest things ever that could ever happen um, Paige's mom gave her heart to Jesus and got baptized like totally in her street clothes spontaneously. Wasn't even planning on it. Just came down and was like, I need Jesus and I want to get baptized. And so Paige and her mom are going to heaven and have a relationship with Jesus. How awesome is that? Yes. And that's, that's the deal. That is the deal. It's so cool because sometimes God meets us when we're not even expecting him to meet us. Sometimes God meets us when we're not even planning 
on him meeting us. Maybe tonight you were kind of like, I'm going to do the church thing even though it's spring break, but I'm going to go. I'm not really expecting a whole lot, but I'm here. Maybe God will surprise us all tonight, and maybe God will speak to you right where you're at tonight. That's my prayer. That's my hope. So we're going to dive right in this series called Hurt, and uh, it should be awesome. We're going to talk about hurt. Everybody say hurt. We are. No matter how old we get, we have a fascination with pain. I mean, when you were little, when you were a baby, the funniest thing in the entire world for you was to see a grown person punch themselves in the face. You laugh and laugh and laugh. I don't know what it is about babies, but you just slap yourself and go, ouch, and they just, <laughs> they just laugh. They just think pain is so funny. And no matter how many times they see someone hurting, Babies still are fascinated with pain and suffering and hurting and ouchies and boo-boos and mommy gonna make it all better, but it's funny as long as it's not them getting hurt. And no matter how many times you saw pain as a child, it was always funny. Kind of like this video, no matter how many times you've seen it, it's still funny. Take a look. I don't know if it's that kid's British accent or if it's his brother's like joy in his suffering that makes that video funny, but it is to date the most viewed video. On, on YouTube of all time. I mean, not by a little bit, by a long shot. That's the most watched video in the history of YouTube. And what's awesome and funny and weird and dark and crazy and unexpected about it is that the core of that video is pain. The core of that video is hurt. I mean, sure, it's British kids hurting someone. And, uh, you know, that's always awesome when a British kid talks. But um, it's pain and it's hurt. And hurts funny and hurts fascinating to a point. When I was six years old, I went to my friend Chris's house and um, we would just hang out. He, we lived in an apartment complex and he lived in the apartment right across from me, the hall next door to me. And so um, we would hang out pretty much all the time. Like every other day I'd go to his house and we'd watch Transformers and He-Man. Yeah. That's old school goodness right there. Um, but we would watch these cartoons called Transformers and He-Man, and I would take my little He-Man doll or toy or whatever you call it. It was a doll, boys. Don't lie. You, you, know, you can call it an action figure or whatever you want to call it. It's a doll, okay? I had my little He-Man doll. And you know what the funniest thing about those action figures is most of the time it's men in loincloths, which is disturbing in so many levels. Okay. But anyways, I had my little he and we would watch like these cartoons all the time. And, we, and we'd watch G.I. Joe. Any G.I. Joe fans in the house? 
Yes. We'd watch G.I. Joe. Well, one time I was at my friend Chris's house and we were arguing about whose G.I. Joe collection would win in an apocalypse, mine or his. Well, of course, every young boy thinks his G.I. Joe collection is more powerful than the other one. And, and you didn't play with G.I. Joes, maybe not, but you had Pokemon cards. Or maybe you didn't play with Pokemon cards, you had baseball cards. Or maybe you didn't do any of that. Maybe you were a sports person. Or maybe your dad was the ultimate hero and your famous line was, well, yeah, my dad could beat your dad up. We all want to win, no matter what. Hey, um... And so I was arguing with my friend Chris, and he said something that hurt me. He said something that angered me. He said something that hurt my feelings. He basically made fun of my G.I. Joe collection and called it girly. Sad. That's brutal. That's brutal. Don't call a manly man femme. He'll, he'll get uh, angry, upset, or cry. Okay, and so here's what I did. I got angry, and I got offended, and I got hurt. Everybody say, aw. My little six-year-old ego was damaged. My, now, um, my once amazing collection of He-Man and G.I. Joe figures is now girly man. They're girlish. They're, they're weak. They're nothing. And so I picked up my collection of G.I. Joe toys, and I, with a hurt heart and a hurt ego, ran out the door and slammed the door as hard as I could to make it known to the whole world that I was angry at Chris. When I slammed the door, though, a part of my pinky finger remained on the other side of the door. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, if we had a camera, you could see it. I have one pinky finger that's just a little bit shorter than the other pinky finger. And they found it awesome, like so true story. They found it in the vacuum cleaner like a little while long. Okay, you want to feel? Look, you can feel the bone, right? Just playing. Okay. Um, but here's the deal. They had to take, it was even so bad that they had to take me to the hospital for like months afterwards and put a file on my finger so the skin would grow back appropriately. They would file the end of my finger with like a nail file. Huh. And so there's some pain like the pain of your G.I. Joe figures are girly and my dad's bigger than your dad and my boyfriend's good looking than your boyfriend, girls. I don't know what you say. <laughs> There's some pain that lasts for a moment. There's some pain that's temporary. There's some pain that, you, that happens. You stub your toe, you get over it. There's some pain, you know, you fall off a chair. One time I was in um, like physical science in sixth grade and we had the lab chairs. You know the lab chairs, they're kind of tall and they have like the lab. And I was asleep in my lab chair because physical science bored me. And I'm leaning back in my lab chair as I'm sleeping. And my lab chair falls over backwards and I slam my head on the ground in front of the entire class. Okay, it was embarrassing but the pain left. There's some pain that's temporary, but, but then there's some pain that goes with you. There's some pain that defines you. There's some pain that, that leaves scars. There's some pain that you can't get past. There's some hurt. There's some suffering. There's some thing that happens in your life. Some events happen, and you can't just move past them. Some things happen, and you can't just get over it. You can't just talk yourself out of it. You can't go in the room and gather your little collection of He-Man action figure dolls and say, but boys, I know you're strong. He's a liar, you know? You just can't. They, some pain stays with you forever. 
and ever and ever and ever. I mean, even think about your, your life. I mean, even think about the music that you listen to. I mean, if you go onto like iTunes right now and you look at the top 10, it's all like, you know, just how many of you like top 10 iTunes stuff? Please raise your hand. I don't want to offend anyone. None of you, like one or two. Okay. You go and you look on there and a lot of it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's kind of like just over and over and over, but like in different speeds with different sounds in the background and different people singing with different computers on their voice. But the music that you like the most, really, the stuff that gets the most play on your iTunes, it's the songs that deal with struggle. It's the songs that deal with hurt. It's the songs that deal with pain. It's the songs that when you listen to them, you can just, you, you hear it for the first time and some part of you just goes, mm, yeah, I resonate with that. It's the struggle that draws you in. I mean, think about your favorite movies. It's not the movies where everything is perfect throughout the whole movie. I mean, those movies are good to escape from, but what are we doing? We're really escaping when we watch them because it's not reality. You escape, some, escape to something because it takes you to a place that you'd rather be than where you're at. But really the movies that resonate with our heart, I mean, really the movies that are our favorite are the ones about struggle. They're the ones when people have pain and hurt and things happen to them and events go on in their lives and they're underdogs or they have scars or they have these events that, that shape them and somehow, way, against all odds, they overcome. Somehow, way, against all odds, they win. Movies like Invictus, amazing if you've not seen it. Movies like I don't know, throw some great movies out there to me. Movies like Shawshank Redemption. Movie, throw them out there. Go ahead. Yeah, all of those. Hurt. Finding Nemo is a great movie about the pain of losing your son and having a friend with no brains. Um, pain. Toy Story 3. One and two, but not, not as much two because I didn't like that. But one and three were awesome. But, but all of them, the great ones, are about pain. We connect with the pain. We connect with the hurting. Why? Because we all hurt. Because at some level we all have suffering. Because at some level we all have pain. Because at some level we all ask questions of the universe. Why did this happen to me? Because at some level we all ask the questions of the divine. Why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? Why the struggling in Africa to find water? Why the genocide in Rwanda? Why do a billion people not have clean drinking water in our world today? Why are, is Atlanta the number one city in America for sex trading? Why, God, why? Why? Why the hurt? Why the pain? Why the struggle? At some point, we all connect, and it's not the people that we connect to. It's their pain. It's their hurt. It's their struggle. And so it brings you to three views of God that all of us may have in this room. We all have one of these three views. When it comes to your pain or your struggle or your hurt or the things you have to overcome in your own life, you have one of three views of God, and here they are. Number one, God is A, 
distant and unconcerned with your pain. That's a view of God that loads of people have. He's distant. He's just out there. He's unconcerned with my pain. I am insignificant. I am a blip on a, on a radar. I am a, a grain of sand in the bottom of the ocean. I am a petal in a field of flowers. I am a star in a galaxy of stars. I'm, I'm insignificant. And so one viewpoint of God that we all have is he's just kind of distant and out there. The second viewpoint of God that we might have is that he's close. In other words, you can have a relationship with him, but he, he stays out of it and allows you to figure out the struggle yourself. That's a viewpoint that a lot of people have. Like, I can know him, and I can have a relationship with him, and I, he can be more than just some cosmic figure out there that's like, you know, playing chess with the devil, you know? Um, I can really know him, but he really just kind of wants me to figure the whole thing out myself. He kind of stays hands-off for the most part. And that, then the third viewpoint of God that we all have because of pain, and that is that he's close. He's close. He's close, and he's deeply concerned with our suffering and our struggle. He's deeply concerned with our suffering and our struggle. Jesus is walking in John chapter 5. He walked a lot. Why? He didn't have a car. Um, he's walking in John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, if not, they're going to throw some verses up there. Um, as I read, but um, he comes to this place and it says in John chapter 5, verse 1, let me read it to you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is an in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five colored, five covered colonnades. Do you know what Bethesda means? Five colonnades. Wow. Okay, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blame um, excuse me, the blame, no. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid or couldn't walk for 38 years. Think about that for a minute. Okay, there's a pool. And here's the legend of this pool. The legend of this pool is that if you go into the waters of this pool when the water is stirred, in other words, the water would move, that you would be healed and what they thought happened was that an angel reached down from heaven and tipped his fingers into the water, and that caused the water to be stirred. And so if you went in the water when it was moving, you'd be healed of whatever it is that you were suffering from or whatever pain or ailment you had. And so literally hundreds of sick people would lay around this pool. This man, the Bible said, it didn't say how long he'd been laying there, but this man, 38 years couldn't walk. Think about that. 38 years, he didn't know the joy of playing tag with, a little, with his little girl. He didn't know the joy of kicking a soccer ball through a field. He didn't know the joy of running. He didn't know the joy of some of the things that we take for granted. He didn't know those things his whole life almost. For 38 years of it, he'd been laying lame. And so he's sitting there and this is what happens in verse 6. It says, When Jesus saw him laying there and learned, what he, uh, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, Do you want to get well? Duh. <laughs> what kind of question is that? 38 years, I can't walk. 38 years, I can't kick a soccer ball. 38 years, no DDR for me. 
38 years. I can't do the things that most people take for granted. And Jesus comes to the guy and says, hey, dude, got a question for you. Do you want to walk? Like, how many of you would be a little ticked off if that question were asked of you in that position? I would too. I'd be like, um, hello, here's your sign. You know what I mean? It would drive me crazy. Why did Jesus ask him that question? Why did Jesus ask him, do you want to walk? Was it for Jesus' benefit? I mean, did Jesus not know? I mean, he's like God, right? Did he not know what the man's heart was? Did he not know that the man wanted to walk? I think Jesus asked the guy the question because he wanted the guy to verbalize it, maybe for the first time in his life. I'm sick of this. I was hurt 38 years ago, but I don't want to live hurt for the rest of my life. Like we said earlier, there are some pains you can get past in a moment, but there are some things that happen to you that define you and you carry with you, and they become lenses with which you see the world, and you hear girls all the time say, he broke up with me when I was 13, therefore all guys can't be trusted. You hear guys say all the time that my dad was a loser and never around, therefore it's impossible for me to become a good father one day. You hear people all the time look at events in their lives that happened, hurts that had happened, pains that had happened, and they allow those things to define them for the rest of their lives. See, you can, you can be hurt or you can live hurt, and those are two totally different things. You can be hurt and still have the scar and still have the memory and still have the jagged edges of what happened to you at some point in your life. Or you can live hurt and allow that thing that happened to define you forever. And so I think Jesus' question to this guy was, hey, are you, are you willing to move past this? Are you willing to uncork all that's inside of you, all that's been building up for 38 years, all the struggle, all the pain, all the frustration, are you really willing to deal with it? And so this is what the guy said, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. In other words, if I could get to the water before them, I would be healed, but I can't. And you're saying, how does that relate to me? I'm not waiting at some pool unless it's a pool in Daytona Beach, maybe. You know what I mean? I'm not waiting at a pool on anything. How does this connect to my life? Well, we do this. We do this. We say, but we don't say it like a pool. We say it like this. We say, if I can become popular before they do, then I'll be healed internally. If I can make the right grade and, and outshine everyone else, then I'll be fixed on the inside. If I can accomplish this, if I can do that, if I can score the goal, then I'll get dad's attention. If I can do whatever, it, fill in the blank, if I can do blank, then I will be healed. So this is how he answers the God who in a moment could touch his heart and in a moment can touch his legs and cause him to walk. In a moment, 38 years of not being able to do something that everyone takes for granted can go away with one word from this Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and says, well, pretty much it's everybody else's fault. Well, pretty much I, I, I'm going to stay the way that I am because people beat me. 
There are always people more popular than me, Jesus. Don't you see? There are always people stronger than me. Don't you see? There are always people prettier than me. There are always people that are more intelligent than me. There are always people that do it before I can do it, that get it before I can get it, that say it before I can say it. I'm always a day late and a dollar short, and I wish I could just get there, but I can't. And so really, it's not my fault that I don't get in the water, Jesus. Really, it's not my fault that I'm not healed. Really, it's not my fault that I don't walk. Really, it's theirs. Really, really the blame is on them. And, and I think this is so much bigger than just this moment in this story. It speaks so much bigger to our lives because, yes, the moment was their fault. The moment, maybe, was their fault. But living in the moment is my choice. In other words, you can choose to get better or you can choose to stay bitter. I think that's what Jesus is saying to him. You can choose to get better and not let this define you and not let the struggle be the lens with which you see the world or you can choose to get better. It's your choice. And so Jesus said this to him in verse 8. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked in a moment. One last thought on this story before we kind of wrap up the night and move into small groups. Here's one thing that I think about this. It's pretty wild. He's laying on a mat. He's laying on a mat. What does a mat do to someone who can't walk? Why the mat? Why have the mat on the ground? The mat makes the paralysis comfortable. It makes it comfortable to live in pain. He, he got to the place to where he realized, I'm never going to get past this. I'm always going to be scarred. I'm always going to be paralyzed. I'm always going to be second in the race to the water. I'm always going to be not quite good enough, not quite fast enough, not quite strong enough. I'm not quite pretty enough or not quite intelligent enough or not quite... Just, I just I can't quite get there before anybody else does. And so at least there's the mat. At least there's the mat. At least this makes my pain comfortable. And Jesus said to him, before he said walk, he said, listen, you're going to have to pick up this thing that makes it comfortable for you to stay the way you are. A lot of people say all the time, doesn't God love me the way that I am? Absolutely, positively, 110% you are correct. God loves you brokenness and all. God loves you hurt and all, pain and all, suffering and all, struggling and all, insecurities and all. God loves you exactly the way that you are. However, he chooses in that love to not let you stay the way you are. And sometimes he calls us to take the things that make it comfortable for us to stay the way we are and to toss them aside. Sometimes he calls us to take the things that make it comfortable for us to live with the lens of pain and live in the lens of hurt and say, you know what? I'm not going to lay here anymore. I was made to walk. I was made to walk. So what do we learn? Number one, we learn this, that we all hurt. We all have pain at some level, at some place. There's some sort of struggle in all of us. Life doesn't go as planned. Car wrecks happen. Divorce happens. Cancer happens. 
Job loss happens. C's when you thought you got an A happen. Boys are idiots sometimes. Amen, sisters. Girls, play with your mind at times. Am I telling the truth, boys? It, ha- it doesn't happen the way that we expect it to happen. Life is unpredictable. And because of it, we all live in the aftermath of its unpredictability. We all have hurt and pain. But there's something beautiful that happens when someone who isn't suffering meets someone who is suffering. When I was in college, um, I went to Jamaica. Jamaica, man. It's a beautiful place. Anybody ever been to Jamaica? Let me see your hand. Yes, it's so beautiful. Okay, we went to Jamaica on a missions trip. (laughs) That's a missions trip, my friends. Go to Jamaica. Okay, so we went to Jamaica, and we're hanging out. It's beautiful. It's like 97 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. It's amazing. It's awesome. I'm eating some sweet Caribbean food. I'm having to turn all kinds of people down for illegal substances. Um, No, (laughs) stay away. Um, and so there, were one, there was one day, we're staying in this beautiful like compound that's over on top of a hill that overlooks the ocean. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And every day you wake up and you're just reminded of God's goodness. You just look and you see the ocean and it's beautiful. How many of you guys, when you see guys or gals, when you see like creation or when you see something awesome in the world, it just connects you with God? Can I see it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. I just, I saw, I saw the ocean every day when I woke up and I'm just like, wow, thanks. Jesus. Um, One of the days they took us in buses up this mountain into like um, Budapest. I don't even know where we were. It was like far away from civilization. And we get to the top of the mountain and we get out and we're at an orphanage. And when we get out, they said to us, hey, listen, um, hang out with the kids for a while. The nuns who run the orphanage will be out in a little bit and we'll have lunch together and we'll do some puppet shows because that's what you do on mission trip with kids. You put puppets in your hand and make them talk um, and they go crazy for it. Um, and then you throw out candy and they're like, woo, uh, gringos. Um, but no, they don't speak Spanish in Jamaica. White people, get candy, man. Okay, um, so we go up to the hill and we get out and all of a sudden I notice something un- unusual. You go to an orphanage, and you bring a team of people. You expect kids to come and running, right? You expect to hear loud playing. You expect to hear laughing. You expect to hear noise. At least you expect to see some boy chasing some girl, torturing her with her Barbie's head in his hand like a little devil that he is. You expect to see like some sort of sign that there are children living on the premises. Nothing. It was quiet startled me for a minute. I I didn't know what to expect. And so we walked in to some of the buildings. And what we did not know is that this entire orphanage that we went to was filled with children who were either knocking on death's door, meaning they had a month to six months to live, or they had lost a, a major limb or a major piece of their body due to sickness. This entire orphanage was, for it's kind of like a hospice almost, for kids who were going to die. All of them were going to die. All of them had some sort of disease or sickness that was going to take their life six months, at at the most a year. And so they couldn't walk, and they couldn't run, and they couldn't play, and they couldn't chase each other around with Barbie dolls. They couldn't do that. 
And so we walked in, and there's almost this, this eerie, awkward, un, uncomfortable silence, like is in the room right now. And then one of the guys on my trip walks over to a little boy who's missing an arm, or half of an arm, and he picks him up, and he starts tickling him. <laughs> and, he, and the little boy goes, <laughs> he starts laughing. And then one of the girls walks over to the other side, and she sits down beside a little girl, and she starts to braid her hair. And before you know it, there's hustle, and there's bustle, and there's laughing, and there's noise, and there's calamity, and there's signs of life as all of these college students from America who aren't suffering, who don't have this pain, who don't have this struggle, are now sitting one-to-one -one with kids all over this room just loving on them and just hanging out with them. And, just, and you start to hear laughing in your heart. Something just happens inside of you because you're like, this is what they should be doing all the time. This is how they should be living all the time, but there's this hurt, there's this pain, there's this struggle, and I don't know what to do, but just treat them like it's not there, and just treat them normal. And so I walked over, I'll never forget this, I walked over to one of the nuns who was running the, the orphanage, and I looked at her, and I said, they're so happy. How, how, honestly, I'm wrestling with this, I'm struggling with this, how are they so happy? They're dying. How are they so happy? They, they're missing major parts of their... They can't run. They can't... How? Why are they smiling like this? And she said, oh, Josh. She said, you see them broken, but they don't see themselves broken. They don't see themselves as damaged. They don't see themselves as hurt. To them, this is normal and you are an outsider they, they didn't see themselves as damaged and so Jesus looks at us when we see ourselves as broken and not working and missing pieces of, of ourselves and missing with holes in our character or our heart or having things that have happened to us that have shortened our emotional life expectancy, that have put lenses and filters on our lives. And we see ourselves as broken and we see ourselves as unnormal. And he looks at us and he doesn't see us the way that we see us. So Jesus spent his whole life hanging out with hurting people. And that's why. He spent his whole life hanging out with people that were broken. With people that had questions and not answers. With, he spent his life hanging out with people like a guy named Jarius whose daughter had died. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what, what am I going to do? He spent his life hanging out with people like Mary Magdalene who the town had labeled her as a prostitute. He spent his whole life hanging out with people like Nicodemus who was a tax collector that everybody hated and looked at him as an outsider. He spent his life hanging out with people like a thief on a cross next to him who was being who was being beaten and put, on, put to die because he had stole something. Jesus, even down to his last breath on earth, hung out with people who were hurting and who were broken. That's why testimonies are so powerful. That's why when you hear that somebody made it through, that's why when you hear that somebody's life was a wreck and there was hope for them and their life changed, it's so encouraging to you. Because all of us, to some sense, see ourselves as broken. 
under your chair, there's a, a white card. I want you to pull it out for me. It's a note card. It kind of looks like this note card that I have in my hand. <clears throat> Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a pencil or a pen. <clears throat> if you don't have one, take a key, cut your hand, and use blood. No, just playing. Um, <laughs> take a pencil or a pen. I should pull it out. Look at this note card right here. I want you to write these words on the note card. I know how you feel. You have two minutes. I know how you feel. Write it on there. If you don't have a pen, raise your hand. We will make sure to get one to you. I know how you feel. You need one of these? Yeah. In case you don't know how to spell that, there it is on the, on the screen. We're here to help you at 12 Stone Church. <laughs> Just guiding you along. I know how you feel. Anybody need any more time? A couple of you. Okay, I will give you time. Here's what I want you to do. If you have... Everybody done? Everybody done? You're done? I know how you feel? Okay. If you have been affected in some way or a loved one that you know has been affected in some way by cancer, would you raise that card in the, hand, in the, in the air, please? Just keep it raised. Look around. Somebody, keep those cards raised. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you see all these cards? Just, just shout it out. Huh? What? Yeah, death. But, but when you see all these cards, what comes to mind? Anybody? Just say it out loud. It... it, it so good. It seems normal. I want you to swap cards with somebody and say, I know how you feel. Show me two students from opposite ends of the spectrum socially. Show me a prep who wears Abercrombie and drives a Range Rover and an emo kid who makes their own clothes and paints their face white and black. Show me two ends of the spectrum. They have nothing in common. But let's say both of those kids lost a parent to cancer. There's a bond that's undescribable. If you have been betrayed, put your, your card in the air. Swap cards with somebody and say, I know how you feel. If you have ever been to the funeral of someone that you love, put your card in the air. Find somebody who you've not switched cards with already, switch cards with them and say, I know how you feel. Okay, we're going to be real honest. We're all family here. If you have ever felt very insecure about yourself or something you've had to do, raise your card in the air. Switch cards with someone else and say, I know how you feel. If you have ever, last one, if you have ever been lied to, raise your card. Swap cards with someone and say, I know how 
you feel. Does, does anybody in the room right now, leaders, students, adults, anybody, anybody have a cross, a necklace, a trinket, a charm? Rip, rip, no, don't rip it off. Just let me see it. Can I borrow it? Can I borrow your cross? Ha! No, I missed. Okay. This is a cross. This was a Roman torture device. You don't see many people going around wearing electric chairs on charms. Nobody has guillotine earrings. You don't see many firing squad t-shirts. But this thing, it's everywhere. This is a, is a torture device that Romans used to see how much suffering someone could handle. This was the most excruciating pain and suffering that a human being could possibly ever endure. It was a sign to the world of defeats, of brokenness, of hurt, of pain, of torture, of suffering. But this cross, 2,000 years later, unites us all. Maybe this cross is Jesus' way of saying, I get it. Because his best friends deserted him. His apprentice cursed him. His brothers didn't believe him. His people rejected him. His church condemned him. And his government tortured him. Isaiah 53 verses 3 and 4 say, He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low, self, low esteem. Surely... He took our pain and bore our suffering. Maybe this cross is God's way of saying to you in your hurt and in your pain, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. See, we don't need in moments of hurt or pain in our lives, what, what you think you need is answers. What you think you need is, is to, for God to answer the why question. God, why did this happen? God, why did you allow this? God, I don't understand why this thing is going on. Even if it's not directly related to your life, as you think of the pain and suffering in the world that's going on all around us, that you can't ignore because there are cries that go out that almost haunt us. We, we think we want the question why answered. But really, we don't need answers. We just need to know that somebody else knows how we feel. We just need to know that somebody else knows how we feel. So we all hurt. We all suffer. We all have pain. Life doesn't go as expected for all of us. And this cross says, God, is God saying to you, I know how you feel. We like to hide that. We like to think that that's a sign of weakness. In our culture, it's not very well looked upon, especially for men, to hurt. 
especially for men to have struggle, especially for men to have pain or suffering in their lives or, or to have tension in their lives, especially for men. It's so hard in our world to ever own up to it. And so what we try to do a lot of times is bottle it because we think no one will relate, no one will connect, no one will approve. It's a sign of weakness to have struggle and pain. When God used the greatest sign of defeat in the history of the world to become the greatest sign of victory in the history of the world, God took pain and brought healing. So we, we don't have to hide it anymore. We don't have to keep our pain a secret. story something to get off my chest my life gets kind of boring need something that I can't confess till all my sleeves are staying red from all the truth that I've said come by honestly I swear thought you saw me win or I've been on the brink so tell me what you want to hear and they were like those years Sick of all the insincere I'm gonna give all my secrets away This time Don't be another perfect line The damn critics have a jumping line I'm gonna give all my secrets away My God Amazing how we got this far It's like we're chasing all those When a situation rises, just write it into an album, sing it straight to cold. I don't really like my flow, no, so tell me what you want to hear. Something that will like those years. Sick of all the insincere. I'm gonna give all my secrets away this time. Don't need another perfect
I guess the best way that I could describe it to you would be that in kind of a almost sounds cheesy way, but that, that you would allow God to take the mess and make a message out of your life. That you would understand and get that without the test, there can be no testimony. Maybe a better way to say it is that maybe over the next few weeks, you would look internally and allow God to take the things that maybe you hold as shame or maybe you hold as pain or maybe you hold as hurt and allow him to make them beautiful. Allow him to use them. Allow him to take the brokenness inside of you and use it to create power in you. Don't you think this guy, 38 years he couldn't walk, one moment, he's dancing. Think about that. 38 years, he lays on the ground. And in one moment, he's running through fields. Don't you think he spent the rest of his life with a story to tell of God's goodness? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every student, every leader here, That God, you would over the next few weeks show us that power comes through weakness. God, that your word says that in our weakness you are strong. That God, you use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That God, you can bring beauty out of the ashes in our lives. That God, you can turn our mourning into dancing and give us a, a, a joy, God, instead of sorrow, Father. God, I pray for every student in this place that... God, you would show them that the the sun will rise again. Father, I pray even for those that are friends of ours that over the next few weeks need to be here, that God, you'd give us courage to do like Jesus did and just reach out a hand to say as if you, maybe you'd want to walk. Maybe you'd want to be whole. And maybe that just extension is God, us inviting our friends that we know are hurting us inviting our friends that we know are struggling, us inviting our friends that we know need to hear a message of hope. I pray you'd give us strength to do that. But God, I pray before we leave this place tonight for every student here, that God, you would reassure them that you are near and deeply concerned with their life. You are close and deeply concerned with our lives, so much so that you want to do something in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a couple of announcements.